David, uh, we've gotten a lot of requests to talk more about current federal policy and how it promotes kidney health and, and how things are likely to perhaps change between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, but also you know what's likely to remain the same. And so um, I thought what I would do is, is sort of frame it along kind of five areas. Um, you know, there's first federal policy around raising awareness about kidney diseases. Second, federal policy to slow the progression of kidney diseases and sort of what's happening in that arena. The third, which is I know where you spend a lot of your time, is, is federal policy to improve the current treatment options. Uh, the fourth part of federal policy is to increase access to kidney transplants. And then the fifth and final piece is, is federal policy to promote research, discovery, and innovation related to, to kidney health. Um, so does that framework seem reasonable to you? It, it does. It does. And I'm going to pull out my magic eight ball to figure out exactly what the right answers are. So starting with the first piece in terms of federal policy to raise awareness about kidney diseases, um, just to highlight a couple things that are happening. Um, there is a, a, a consumer campaign um, that, that started earlier in the fall. Um, the National Kidney Foundation is, is leading that effort. Uh, it's the, are you part of the 33%? It's really saying that 30%, 33% of all Americans are at risk for kidney diseases. Um, it links back to cardiovascular disease and, and diabetes, and we'll come back to those in a second. Um, but that, that campaign is raising public awareness. I know they're getting a lot of traffic. Um, I'd encourage people to go to the, the NKF website and then sort of visit the, the microsite. Um, in the next year or so, ASN will be doing um, working with HHS on a campaign that's focused on the kidney community. Um, a number of people who listen to us have, have received surveys. Um, a a uh, public relations firm has been helping us. It's been really interesting in terms of the survey results and think about how we, if you will, rebrand uh, nephrology as a specialty moving forward. So just because of the nature of this, of, of this particular podcast, so you're fairly, I mean, I'm just asking you kind of, you know, point blank, you feel fairly comfortable that that program with ASN and HHS will continue with the new administration? I do because it's it's really um, you know it's it, it is a partnership, but but as with the partnership between HHS and NKF, um, in that instance, NKF really took the lead on the consumer campaign. HHS has asked us to do the same with the community, um, and so it's it's really you know linking it back to to some of the messaging and sort of how we how we describe issues, and so I, I don't see anything changing, even though the leadership at HHS will change. Okay. That would make sense. Yeah, and the other piece, um, and then we can move to the second federal policy, is around you know how do we get the capital markets excited about investing in kidney research? And we'll talk more in the fifth goal around promoting research, discovery, and innovation. But you know, I think there's there's a combination of strategies, and one of the things that we've done is um, held one, and we're hoping to hold more um, kidney capital markets day, where we bring leaders of companies that that um, have got you know that have um, have successfully um, raised capital to invest in, in new therapies. Um, there's a lot of interest um, in the markets because they they see you know these federal policies aligning, um, but also as we'll talk about in, in sort of slowing progression, there's also been a lot of excitement around you know if it was outset medicals um, initial public offering or you know the new therapeutics related to SGLT2 inhibitors um, and and then other work related to artificial intelligence. There's just a lot of interest in the space right now, which I think is really excited. And, and again, these these two campaigns would dovetail from a consumer perspective and then sort of the perspective of the community and what nephrology is like to, likely to look like in the future 
would dovetail into some capital markets campaigns. That's an interesting approach that I, I think probably if you're not really in that world, in that business world, you just don't think about that much. Just kind of where the conversation gets started for a company to get into a particular healthcare field. The second federal policy is around slowing the progression of kidney diseases. And, and I would say there's much less of a federal role here. Um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of excitement around the new therapies for diabetic kidney diseases. Um, there's increasing research being published. And there was, I know, a lot around AKI and sort of the use of artificial intelligence. So there seems to be um, recent investments there as well. Um, you know, there's currently more than 35 clinical trials for um, focused around genetic kidney diseases and a lot of excitement in that arena. And I think the challenge is going to be, you know, supporting the, the infrastructure needed to have all those trials be successful. Um, and then, you know, I would put in this category a lot of the discussions around um, inequities and, and concerns around uh, race and, and, and clinical algorithms and, and, you know, other ways both to use artificial intelligence, but also to think differently about how we screen, identify people for kidney diseases, start to get them, you know, primary care, then referring to the nephrologist. Um, and all these pieces obviously work together. Um, and I would go back to the consumer campaign, that the more successful the consumer campaign is, that's going to be a real opportunity for us as well. So I went through that quickly just because I think that's a little less relevant to the federal policy, although, you know, the federal government has stated that the emphasis is on kidney health, not on kidney sickness. And, and I think that's a real important shift and, and something we can build on. Let's look at some of the things that, that, are, that are happening, though. That, that I mean, there is a way in which to do federal policy there. And, and I've been watching it. Uh, it's been very interesting in the last couple, you know, I mean, very recently within the last couple of months. There's been a lot of talk about kind of, um, you know, actualizing, operationalizing something that has been talked about for a while, which is how to really restructure the electronic health record systems being used, and particularly those being provided by the, the bigger companies, um, to really kind of go through all the factors that are in the data and really start to identify patients who are more likely to develop kidney disease. And, and this can happen in other parts of healthcare, not just in, in kidney care. And there's been really a lot of, of, of information about how that's happening. And the government's proposal to mandate interoperability between these systems, I think, is going to greatly enhance that. I, I think we're going to start using some of the clinical tools, um, such as electronic health records, hopefully, uh, in, as part of how to really start identifying within population health groups that are and individuals who are likely to go on to, to develop you know, kidney disease. And, and that's, that's a big part of slowing the progression. And don't forget, we're going to talk about the models soon. One of the models is based particularly on CKD stages before you get failure. Um, as we think about this third goal of improving the current treatment options, um, I was hoping that you could spend a little bit of time sort of on, you know, we've already talked a little bit about telehealth, um, but if you could spend a little bit of time just around, you know, what's happening to increase home dialysis, the status of the um, ETC model, the ESRD treatment choices model, and then what's going on with the voluntary model. So I will I will turn the floor over to you or the, 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 the mic over to you, and you can handle this however you'd like. No, 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 don't, don't, don't leave me out here by myself because um, I'll, I'll start swimming in acronyms. Uh, so you can just stop me. Just don't, don't let me do that because I'll start just repeating all the letters. 
Um, you know, but the catch is, is that there are these two major models that are going forward. There's a lot of other things I think that are happening, particularly in kidney care about, you know, kind of, you know, looking at policies and so forth. But, but for the most part right now, we do have something. So then, so let's start with the, uh, the end-stage renal disease uh, treatment choices model, which is the mandatory model. Um, and that one begins first. Uh, that one begins on January 1, 2021. And that one's the one that's, you know, invited a lot of scrutiny and, and controversy because it is mandatory and that makes people nervous. Um, you know, we did work on some things. We're working on some things right now. We're still asking them to do. Um, I think that that will start on time on January 1. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the scaling it back to the smaller size, the 30%, of these um, patients and and the neurophrologist uh, is helpful. I think it allows them to do more comparison. Um, there's still some problems uh, in terms of how they do. We think they need more risk adjustment uh, so that people who are caring for patients who are really in you know disadvantaged communities and more challenged uh, aren't going to be penalized when they don't hit the rates as high as they would like. There's also what we call a, a home dialysis gap, which has to do with it's really one of those, let me just try to put it to you this way, because if I try to get technical about it, it'll, it'll sound like, what is he talking about? But it's a little bit of what we're trying to say. Like, it's kind of like, you know, a little cup game where you put the nut under the cup or whatever the, and you move them all around and then you're trying to guess which one it's under. Um, so there's a little bit of that problem going on, which is basically they didn't know how to approach it. So the government, has identified people through their tax identification number. So where the company, you know, it all comes out of one company or one nephrology practice. And so they'll do them in these hospital referral regions. And that's how they're going to judge your success. The problem is, is that a lot of groups have things outside of their tax identification number that's part of their service. So when you talk about increasing home dialysis, we know for a fact that Home dialysis programs generally do a lot better when they have 25 or more patients. That, that does seem to be a, a good spot for that, for better outcomes. And so since you might have a facility that only has eight, or you might have, you know, your program might be at, let's say, a, a university uh, hospital, and you a lot of situations have happened where they've discovered they don't have enough patients uh, and they're not getting the outcomes that they should, so they have started to contract or build relationships with home dialysis specialty groups and sending those patients there. They're still seen by the nephrologist back at the original place. That's a that's like a shell game because it it once you step outside of that that tax identification number, the 10, then you no longer get credit for what you're doing. So this is where we're trying to get nephrologists from not getting in trouble into this gap. And we're still working on them to try to figure out how they can get around that because that's, we've got to increase home dialysis. And there's, there's a lot of attention on home dialysis. Uh, New York Times had a fantastic piece, um, uh, on, on kind of the, this model and home dialysis. And, uh, it really does show that there's a lot out there. It, it focuses on a, a, a patient who has gone to five, to six sessions a week and basically says she feels like she's got her life back. She's doing home dialysis and she does it during her sleep. And that's really, I mean, I know it's not without challenge and I know it is, but it can make a lot of difference for some people, not everyone, but for some people.
Yeah, let me just ask you a quick process question. So, you know, normally there's a proposed rule, people comment, there's a final rule, people usually comment again, and, and there may or may not be an adjustment. And then how much latitude do does the, do the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have to, to address some of these issues? So is, is the community, you know, I'm just trying to get a sense as to how much of this is sort of a, a working um opportunity to really make adjustments as we go or is it going to be more one of those things where on an annual basis there are adjustments and in between kind of tough luck a little bit of that latter uh, there's definitely a little bit of that latter that in between the years in between it's a little bit of tough luck um but annually making adjustments you know we see is a positive thing that's one of the things we asn requested when they were doing this um right now they are considering some more adjustments and I think the biggest challenge will be making sure those adjustments have been uh, making sure it's something that touches policy that's been put out in either the proposed rule or the final rule already. So, in other words, it wouldn't be something completely out of the blue. Um, so that's what ASN is focusing on. It's focusing on a couple areas that it thinks are important, like the one I just talked about, that gap, and also uh, about risk adjustment. And um, that was that was in something that ASN had been talking about before, and we didn't feel like it was really addressed appropriately or proportionally the way we thought it probably should be. Does that make sense? It does, and, and maybe we use that as a transition and talk a little bit about the voluntary model. So, so the the mandatory model starts January one. Um, there may be additional adjustments before it goes live. Certainly, you know, as part of the regular rulemaking process, there'll be an opportunity. Um, in the late spring, early summer to, um, you know, react to a proposed rule as they continue to, to adjust it. And, you know, this will be the, the new sort of rhythm of, of, of the process. Um, but what about the, the, the voluntary models? Well, we're going to do um, some more information on voluntary models very soon. Um, but at the, at the moment, they are moving along. They're, they're in that preparatory phase and they have been gauged. The program will not start until April 1, 2021. Um, and up until that point, a practice can still remove itself um, and can, and do so without penalty. But they're still putting in a lot of effort right now. So nobody really wants to put in this effort and then uh, you know, walk away in March. Um, so that's, that's when that big deadline comes. There's a deadline for our members that is December 10th. And that has just been recently announced. And what that is, is um, some groups put in applications for m more than one program. So, for example, the voluntary model, the KCF, Kidney Care First, is only nephrologist. But then there's the other three contracting sections, and those are what they call kidney care entities. And they some of them have put themselves in like both categories, both areas. And... That December 10th deadline is the deadline at which you have to decide as a nephrologist or your practice which way you're going to go. If you got accepted to more than one, you've got to pick by that point so the government can start collecting your, you know, looking at your data. So that's a that's a big deadline that's coming up. Um, but I think there's a lot there. There is still some work to be done on on, on this. Uh, you know, these models have come along with a lot more detail. Uh, there's some very positive things that have happened in terms of adjustments for the monthly capitated payment in there, and that's all good. And there's great determination that the transplant bonus will not impact 
your Medicare savings, uh, shared savings program, if you're in, in that category. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. There's some other issues. Uh, the government announced a 30% withhold so that if you, you know, didn't get paid, oh, you know, if you, if you were overpaid, they would have something to use for your overpayment. Um, and that's a big number. 30% withhold is a very big, 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 big number for people. So I, I'm, that's the eye, you know, that's the one of the big ones that we're watching right now. So the, the fourth federal policy to promote kidney health relates to increasing access to, to kidney transplants. And in my mind, there's sort of two issues that are more regulatory. And so we can start with those because I think they are a good transition from the previous topic. And then there are two that are legislative that I'm happy to try to take. So the two regulatory ones, um, one is trying to align and increase payment incentives, and the other is reforming the the OPOs, the Oregon Procurement Organization. So why don't you take those two, and then I'll take the, the two legislative issues. That sounds like a good deal. Um, well, the Oregon Procurement Organization metric proposed rule has been outstanding for quite some time. Uh, ASN has this fall uh, asked for the agency to go ahead and the, the Department of HHS to go ahead and finalize that rule. Um, it is one that uh, ASN has supported and believes this is an important step to transforming organ procurement for deceased donation. Uh, but there's some, also some other, you know, proposals for transplant centers themselves that we've talked about that have to do with um, the system being overly prescriptive in terms of penalties for any missteps that makes it very hard for transplant centers to really take a chance. Um, and I don't suggest that we take chances with people's health, but for people who might not be the most optimal candidate or the most, or an organ that may not be the most optimal organ. Um, and so that's become quite a hot, uh, hot button issue in 2020. So we will see how that one proceeds as well. Yeah. So just, so picking up on the legislative side, we've talked a lot about this. So we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but you know, there's two pieces of legislation. Um, you know, one, the Living Donor Protection Act. Um, many of the, the goals in there have been incorporated into policy sort of outside the, the legislative process. But, but again, legislation that we've long supported. And then the other is the coverage of immunosuppressive drugs. And, you know, last week we talked about how, um, that went from being scored as costing the federal government money, um, and therefore we had to find an offset to being um, a saver, and, and therefore now will be included in any you know legislation that may happen this year. And, and so I think health-related legislation that may happen this year. And I think what, what's important, and I think this is sort of the, the, if you will, the process issue, is the current Congress um, will reconvene in a lame duck session. Um, Hopefully, the, these, this, both of these bills will be included and will become law. If not, if, if, if either of them is not or neither of them are included, then we have to start over again with the new Congress. So that means, you know, um, having the, the legislation introduced, you know, going through the, the typical process, et cetera. And so I think anything we can do to kind of get this through this year would be advantageous just so we don't have to start over again, recognizing that we've been, you know, as a community, been advocating for, for both pieces of the legislation for quite some time. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed on that one. I, I think that has a good, uh, there's a good shot that that will happen um, and that it will be included before the end of the year. And that that in and of itself would would be 
something to really celebrate in a year that hasn't really given us much to celebrate. Um, that would really be a really good one. So to sort of summarize where we are, so we've talked about efforts to raise awareness about kidney diseases, to slow the progression of kidney diseases, to improve the, cre- the current treatment options, and then to increase access to um, transplants. And so the last piece is really what federal policy exists to to promote research, discovery, and innovation. And, you know, I think we've talked a lot in the past about uh, appropriations and, and funding for the National Institutes of Health, particularly the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Disorders. Um, we've, uh, you know, beyond that, there are other federal agencies that, that do invest in kidney research, like the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, PCORI, uh, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. I mean, there are other places. And so obviously that's a, that's an area that, that we've spent a lot of time and it's been helpful that there is now this, this mandate. Um, you know, if you don't mind providing us a quick update on what's happening in terms of potential um, emergency funding to, to fight the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, you know, there's obviously a link with kidney diseases and interest in, you know, if there is some sort of package that goes through before the end of the year, you know, including additional supplemental funding for, for NIDK in particular. So why don't we start there and then we can move through some of the other activities. Well, I, I think that I think that there will be a package. Um, I think that's pretty much been determined. Uh, exactly what it looks like, I don't know. Reports are right now um, that the White House has kind of, you know, stepped back and taken its hands off of this. Um, we all know this is a strange transition uh, from one administration to the next. So it really will be, I think, probably down to Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell to come to an agreement and, and as well as, um, you know, the ranking members, uh, the ranking leadership as well. But I think that's really probably the most significant person in that whole equation is going to be Mitch McConnell because it's going to be a matter of what he thinks he can sell to his caucus and that he's willing to try. Yeah, and, and what's implied, I think, and, and tell me if you think this is right, is that um, in all likelihood it would be a relatively sort of skinny supplemental, so it would be much more focused on funding for individual citizens and much less on funding specific government activities like NIH. I think that that's true. And I I also think that really, um, you know, I'm not trying, I don't want to throw cold water on more funding for NIH, which we, you know, very much is, is something we support. But I think there's going to be, in a matter of weeks, we're looking at, we're looking at municipalities across the country who are going to have to start laying off police and teachers and, and things of that nature. That is about, we're about to hit that wall. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to get some of the money into the hands of local governments. So just to close on a, on a more positive note, you know, the other big thing that's been happening to promote research, discovery, and innovation is um, KidneyX has launched an artificial kidney prize. Um, and um, there's also a COVID-19 prize. But there's been a lot of excitement around both. And, and the artificial kidney prize in particular has generated a fair amount of attention. And so... You know, I, I do think um, as we move into next year, um, you're going to see a lot more activity with, with kidney acts and its its focus in this arena. And, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to see you know what you know who wins and, and what you know some of the the ideas are and you know sort of what that generates uh, you know across the, the 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 arena. 
I, I agree. And I think that is very exciting. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things I think we're all looking forward to seeing where it goes in the next year. And, uh, you know, competitions, uh, just, you know, have can come up with amazing things. Um, and I, I was actually just looking at an article today on um, uh, Maya Lin, the architect who designed the Vietnam Memorial, who did so in 1981 or so as, as uh, you know, finishing her thesis. Um, and, and it was a real groundbreaking part of architecture and affected things greatly. But it is kind of interesting. You never know who or where those ideas are going to come from. David, I'll, I'll give you the last word in terms of um, how would you like to sum up the discussion we just had? Um, it, it just goes to show you that there is still there are still good things happening uh, in 2020. And there's a lot of good positive movement in the kidney space. A lot of things that our members have worked for a long time to see accomplished. And uh, I, it, the, the kudos go to them. Um, and, you know, as we face uh, all of these challenges, they over and over again have risen to the challenge and have delivered amazingly.